Welcome to CCM in 3D. I'm Dan. I'm Derek, and there is no Dave here today. He got fired. <laughs> he got fired. Well, maybe we can rehire him later. <laughs> That's true. Well, we rehire him next week. Perfect. So we are have this wonderful podcast called CCM in 3D. We talk about Christian music between 1985 and 1995. And today we're going to talk about Rich Mullins' debut album, Rich Mullins. And we have a very special guest with us, Miss Kathy Sprinkle. Yeah, she has been a friend of Rich's for 21 years. So we thought that he would, she, excuse me, she would give us some insight into some of those early years, maybe, um, and kind of take us on a journey back in time. Well, I think it's more than 21. Am I right, Sprinkle? Is it more than 21? Well, we were friends for 21 years, and okay. he's been he's he's been gone for tw- 23 now, I guess. 23, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So we've gosh, got I'm old. 40 some <laughs> years, probably. Is yeah. That- Long wow. time. Yeah. Welcome, Sprinkle, and just kind of give us the give us the Reader's Digest version of <laughs> the friendship that you guys had in the early days. Wow, it was it was forty five years ago last week that we met. Uh, gosh, I can't believe I'm that old. Um, <laughs> we both went to Cincinnati Christian University here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, the very first night of orientation, of course, everybody's scared to death. It's up. Um, Cincinnati Christian University was up on one of the highest hills in Cincinnati, and they pulled this beat up old piano out. And this guy sat down. This is 1975. Remember, wasn't a lot going on in Christian contemporary music. I think there was Larry Norman and Andre Crouch and Disciples, and mm-hmm. I don't know a few other people here and there. And this guy played like Elton John, and he played like you know all these different people that we'd heard, and Billy Joel. And it's like, wow, what is this? Um, and um, we became friends uh, soon after that and were friends until I talked to him the day before he passed away. He was on his way to Wichita. We all, several of us had moved to Wichita to be mentored by a, an older couple there. And mm-hmm. so um, it was uh, it was a long and involved, it's just brother and sister, you know, the kind of friendships that you can have as Christians. It's just kind of awesome. Right. Um, we did the mid-70s hippie Christian commune thing, which I'm sure it looks <laughs> <laughs> terrible. You know, the, the, co- the college about had kittens over it. And now as I'm older, I look back and go, that looked pretty bad. But <laughs> that, believe me, if you're not attracted to somebody before you live with them, you won't be once you live with them. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we, we have a history too, the three of us, and actually the four of us with Dave, we didn't yes. fire him. He's just on, he had to work tonight, but um, we, you know, we all work together at, in Christian radio in Wichita in various and sundry ways and just yeah. have developed a, a friendship and a love and and yeah so i'm glad it it extends into this podcast and boy we are thrilled and honored for you to be here tonight sprinkle it's really wow. great so. it is so good to hear you guys as That's great in in my head or in my headphones whichever it is i'm not sure <laughs> well let's jump into this album this self-titled rich mullins album it's uh recorded or released actually in 1986 and i want to start us off um i actually have a a, uh, a copy of the the back cover and the back cover of Rich's debut album has, you know, all the things you'd expect to see produced by Reed Arvin, executive producers, Michael Blanton, Dan Harold, Brown Bannister, of course, is in there. But then a nice little unexpected blurb from Miss um, Amy Grant. She writes about this album. She says, the first time I heard this album was late one night in September this past fall. I remember semi-collapsing on the sofa at the end of a too-long day, thinking it would be hard to concentrate on 10 newer songs. Guess who was wrong? His lyrics brought my heart to its knees, and the passion in his voice was the very reflection of my own feelings. Hats off to you, Rich. 
and to the fortunate listeners who discover this album, the pleasure will be all yours. Thus writes Amy Grant in 1986. So really neat words that stretch way back. And, and so I guess that'd be a good place as any to kind of jump in and talk very briefly about the friendship that Rich had with Amy Grant and just kind of what that was like, how that came about. Well, how that came about was one of our dear friends. If you know much about Rich, uh, we always called him Richard. If you know much about Richard, you knew that um, one of our dear friends, Elizabeth Lutz, um, took, managed, you, you could do that back in the day, managed to get an appointment with Mike Blanton. And she had a, a, a cassette tape, if people, you might need to explain to the younger people what a cassette tape is. <laughs> yes. Perfect. She had a cassette tape of a group that we had called Zion. And really Zion was Richard and a bunch of some of our friends. Um, and we traveled all over the country for several years and uh, did retreats and teaching. And then there were four people that were actually in the group, Zion, the singers. And Richard wanted everybody to quit their jobs and go full time. And Elizabeth wasn't sure about that. So she managed to get an appointment with Mike Blanton. And they had been looking for one more song for... Um, Okay, help me, guys. The album that Sing Your Praise the Lord's on. Age to Age. Age to Age, yep. thank you. I kept saying yeah. Unguarded. I knew it was Unguarded. <laughs> they had one more spot left. And so if any of you saw the movie Ragamuffin, it happened pretty much like that. They called up um, and they wanted to put Sing Your Praise to the Lord on that project. And Richard wasn't quite sure who Amy Grant was. <laughs> and right. He wasn't interested in being signed as a writer. He wasn't interested in any of it. And he wanted all of us to be with him. He didn't want to go by himself, but God opened the door for him. So he ended up going to Nashville, signing as a writer in 1981. And he stayed just a writer until 1986. Um, during that time, he was pretty busy. He wrote a lot. He um, obviously sing your praise to the Lord was during that time. A song called O Come All Ye Faithful that he had done years before, even prior to Zion, when we were in college. And Debbie Boone, it was a huge song for Debbie Boone. It, it, it was in this horrible um, made-for-TV movie that she was in called Sins of the Past. But it was, oh, wow. it was like the big song where the murderer was trying to find her and she's singing this song in front of thousands of people the whole bit. Um, <laughs> and um, it, that was like 1983. And then 1984, he wrote um, Doubly Good to You. Uh, uh wrote that for his own wedding that didn't happen. And Amy fell in love with it and um, made quite a hit out of it. It was, it was wonderful. Um, so he'd been a writer and then he decided in 1985, he wrote a long and involved letter to, to Mike Blanton and Dan Harrell and just said, I want more. I want to be an artist. I want to record my own stuff. And this is why, and I want to be involved in ministry, not just in doing concerts, but I want to do hands-on ministry also. And then that's what led to them signing him um, to be an artist with Reunion Records. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, Dan, you and I, I mean, I think all three of us are kind of, you know, not not so secret credit writers. You know, we, we grew up back right. in the day when you held the album in your hand and you read who all the, the, the producer was and the bass mm -hmm. player and the drummer and the guitar player, yep. all that stuff. Dan, did, did Rich come onto your radar at all before the debut album or did you did you see him as a songwriter elsewhere or how did that work for you yeah so for me yeah it didn't really come up till years later um probably his third or fourth album okay um but so i would see his name but i never again really connected it i think it's winds of heaven stuff of earth really got me okay and then you know never picture perfect and so on and so forth but uh 
you know, I just grew to like him. I personally, I was kind of leaned more toward the groups that like to shred guitar a lot. <laughs> and, and, and Rich Mullins is not that. No. Uh, so I was leaning more toward that. Uh, but I came to appreciate, obviously, Rich's perspective, his lyrics, his personal style that was very different, you know, with the hammered dulcimer, mm-hmm. right. was very thoughtful lyrics and all that kind of thing. So um, it was fun to then, you know, every new album that came out, yes, I got it. Right. It was just, it just added into something that was very different. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. I think I first noticed him uh, with Doubly Good to You. I think I, mm. I read mm. the credits and um, I knew Pam Mark Hall's name somehow, but I didn't know Rich Mullins. But I just I remember seeing that name and thinking, oh, this is a pretty song. And that was basically all I knew. And then from basically Unguarded On, that was a name that I knew because of love of another kind. And yes, so that was, I, he was kind of on my radar at that point. So when he released the album, uh, the self-titled album in 86, he was kind of in my mind, a semi known quantity. At least I knew the name. So right. I, when I went to pick that up and I actually got it on vinyl, like I had it on vinyl. And so, <laughs> Um, that was the first time I had it. It, it wasn't, um, this is a brand new artist that I've never heard of. It was actually someone that I had seen here and there. So, mm-hmm. and so, so speaking of that album, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in and I, I will, I don't know if you guys found this. There is a transcription of Bruce A. Brown's review of the first album in the 19, April 1986 issue of CCM Magazine. It's out on the okay. internet. Wow. So you want to hear it? I'll, yeah. It's pretty short. I'll just read it off and, and then we can react and then jump into the tracks. Um, this is what we have from April of 86. Rich Mullins, known previously only as a scribe to the likes of Amy Grant, Debbie Boone, and Benny Hester, has released a doozy of a debut. So he mm. liked it. Uh, titled Rich Mullins, presumably so you won't forget who he is. This LP is proof <laughs> that terrific writers often keep a few good tunes in their own hip pockets. Mm. Happily, Rich has the pipes to go with his accomplished writing skills. Although not a dazzling singer, Mullins seems to know just how far he can reach without overstepping his range. Producer Reed Arvin provides Mullins with a pop rock backdrop that enhances his energetic style. The album's lyrical themes are built mostly around Mullins' paraphrase of the Apostle Paul. You should be glad you're alive and look forward to being dead. Pointing up that creed is the dance pop delight Live Right that features a cameo from Amy Grant. Uh, Mullins' music is nothing if not motivational and inspirational. Nothing but a miracle, says quite matter-of-factly, I believe you can do anything if you can love. Both Feet on the Ground takes a more down-to-earth approach to that same subject as Rich Muse's I'm Not Head Over Heels and I'm Not on Cloud Nine. And I don't think love is blind. These days laments the state of the world without sounding maudlin. And Prisoner, a great tune built on a police type riff. And that's that. I'd never noticed the police uh, mm-hmm. influence there. Huh. Emphatically states, I'd rather be a prisoner of your love than the champion of my doubt. Which is still a great lyric, by the way. It is. Um, by far, my favorite track on Rich Mullins, he writes, is the album's closer, Save Me. Over a circular synthesizer setting, Mullins implores the Lord to save him from, among other things, any value I can put a price tag on and trendy religion that makes cheap cliches out of timeless truths. And also that aftershave quote. (laughs) Uh, Armed with an arsenal of spectacular songs and holding down the opening spot on Amy Grant's current tour, Rich Mullins should establish himself as a major presence in contemporary Christian music before too long. And so he did. 
And that's the end of the review. So that's that's from April. Wow, he pretty much nailed that. Yes, Bruce <laughs> yes. Brown. So wow. Anyway. Well, and and then this launches. So Rich does eight albums in the next ten years. Mm-hmm. I mean, just oh wow. That's album crazy. after album, song after song. Yeah. <laughs> in this eighty-five to ninety-five album year. That's, that's so true. I hadn't really thought about the breadth of his work here. That's that's yeah. really well. He was kind of on the treadmill to to get him out tour, get him out tour, get him out and yeah. tour. That's absolutely. That's and you know the weird thing about Richard, I didn't realize until I met a bunch of other writers, is he was always writing. Um, we mm. have a, we have a dear friend that anybody that knows CCM music would know the name Wayne Kirkpatrick. And Wayne goes away several times a year to write. Richard wrote all the time. There was always at least four or five songs in his head that he was working on. Always. Yeah. And Interesting. So, so it wasn't hard to put out that kind of music when you already had five songs in your head right now. Right. And that speaks to the, because I think with every album, and again, we'll hit more albums as we go along. This is a deep dive in the first one, but I think, you know, as he went along, things got better. He improved. Mm-hmm. He definitely, I mean, he spiked oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. upward oh. throughout his life. I think he just got better and better. Yeah. And that's really just a, a testament to his, his hard work, his determination, and just his his devotion to his craft. That's so good. He couldn't yeah. not write. That was the weird thing. I mean, he just couldn't not write. It was just like breathing to him, which is... Like I said, once I got to know some other writers, I realized that wasn't true. And I, th- I think he really, I liked other stuff, but man, Liturgy Legacy and a Ragamuffin Band. What do you, what do you say? That's oh, great. you're jumping ahead. Yep. You're jumping yeah. ahead. <laughs> but you are preaching to the choir. That that's is, right. That is, yeah, that's, we, that's an amazing We will cover that one in an upcoming episode. Awesome. So, well, let's talk, let's jump into side one. If we're, if we're, we're vinyl freaks, so we can talk in terms of vinyl and, and cassettes, <laughs> side one. So we start out with, um, with a few good men. So I'll, I'll turn it over to the floor and anyone that wants to, to comment on a few good men, uh, just go, go right ahead. Well, real quick. So this one is one of my favorites on the album. Now I know for kind of for rich, I think this is a very radio ready mm-hmm. kind of song, you know, very catchy chorus background vocals and but when i look at the lyrics i kind of picture this song as kind of a glimpse into rich maybe and his personal philosophy i mean Mm -hmm. obviously maybe you'll shed more light on that kathy but Mm -hmm. like when i see the lyrics show me someone who knows how to struggle who isn't caught in the hold of his luxuries i'm like that seems so rich (laughs) yeah um and then the other lyric in here though it come with a cross though it come with the pain let it come to our hearts let it burn in our brains yeah, mm. it just seems very, you know, who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so good. That's that was so good. one of the, that was one of the favorite songs on the Unguarded tour. I mean, when he his set that he would do with, uh, every night with Amy, that was the song that people just went that and Live Right, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As a as someone that that toured with him for just the briefest window. And again, I was, I was only there for just the briefest window, but I loved playing this one as a guitar player. It was so fun. And Mm -hmm. it just, yeah, this was, I remember this one and and I was on the, uh, the tour right after never picture perfect. So, um, but still this one had a, had a prominent place in the set and People knew it immediately, and it was still a great song. Absolutely. Um, 
And boy, that chorus, you say that a man like that wouldn't last in a world like this, but I believe that the world won't last if a man like that don't exist. Right. And that lyric to me is so Chesterton, how Chesterton will take a, you know, he'll state something and then mm -hmm. he'll flip it and say, well, I believe that, you know, it's actually, you know, that that wouldn't that wouldn't happen unless the other thing. So I think I don't know if, if Rich was reading Chesterton by 1986. Maybe he was, but I think so. Um, this would this is very Chesterton-esque in the chorus. So well, and the um, thing that, that amazes me too is is that lyric not more true today than it was when he first recorded it? For sure, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it just is. Yes, yeah. for sure. This I think that's a and, and Sprinkle brings up a great point there, Dan. I think we'll come back to again and again tonight and how evergreen these lyrics are. The, mm -hmm. the and I go back to something that C.S. Lewis always said was anything that's not eternal is eternally out of date. And so mm. that's, that's, I think what Rich, that's, I think as we go through his albums, I think that's what will make his, his uh, lyrics so timeless is that he always had it on his mind, spiritual things and eternal things, and which makes them eternal, eternally timely. Yes. And so I think we'll, we'll see that again and again. Um, and at Sprinkle, anytime you you have um, memories of this uh, of a song being written, or um, I know you weren't in the studio for this particular album, that'll change with the next album, right? Um, but if you've got particular memories, just you jump right in and, and let us know. So, I'll do that. All right, so let's move on to number two, a place to stand. Um, again, I'll open it up mm. to the floor and let anyone jump in. I need a place to run to and a place to stand. Right. Wow. That's so good. Once yeah. again. That was that was written as they were going in the studio. That wasn't written before. That was that was specifically for the project. Some of them were older songs brought up and we'll talk about that later, but that was one that was written specifically for the project. Oh, okay. Very good to know. Very good. This this song uh, has my favorite lyric on the album oh. and so and it's the lyric that says well i've seen some injustice but i've seen mercy too i was blinded by the things i saw until i looked at you and i think just in this in this era especially in this cultural moment that we're having with injustice and strife and unrest um it's easy to be blinded by the things that we see until we look at christ yeah and so um you know, the, you know, in Jesus, we see the, the biggest injustice of history, God himself hanging on a cross. Um, if anyone knows injustice, it's the Lord Jesus. And right. so he's the one that came to do something about it and to um, to break down the walls between people. And so um, we really are blinded until we look at Jesus. So that's mm -hmm. that's for sure. And I again, very evergreen. This lyric is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about you, Dan? Yeah, good stuff. So question is, I'm assuming all the same players on every song, like yeah. the bass, drums, guitar. Are you are you trying to draw us back to the credits, Dan? <laughs> Let's do. <laughs> so, well, so, yeah, did you look this up? Did you look it up? Yeah, so we had Gary Lunn on the bass, right? Wow. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, guitar was Greg Jennings. Mm -hmm. Executive produced Brown Bannister, Blanton right. Harrell, uh, Reed Arvin, of course, produced it. And they got all these background vocals of all these big names. You know, Chris uh, Harris, Mark Heiberman. Mm -hmm. 
Chris Rodriguez, Billy, Billy Crockett. Crockett. Yeah. Wow. And then um, Phil Nash playing keyboards, and then yep. Keith Edwards and Dave Adams playing drums. Um, I don't recognize anyone <clears throat> on the drum kit, and I don't recognize Greg Jennings' name. Um, right. But, and I, I'll, I want to draw attention to Gary Lunn here in a little bit, because there's a couple of really just luxurious Gary Lunn moments on this mm-hmm. album. So yes. we, we <laughs> yes. will definitely get to that. But yeah. um, So we get to the third track, um, Live Right, which is, is, is the co-write here between Rich and Wayne and Reed. Um, I did some digging before we jump into this track. Um, I was wondering if this was close to Wayne's first recorded, you know, write or co-write. And um, Wayne actually shows up on a podcast from, I think it's earlier in this year, the Paul Leslie Hour podcast, episode 88. Is it a, about an hour-long interview with Wayne? Yes, Sprinkle, they got Wayne to talk for an hour. I was just thinking, how can you get Wayne protected <laughs> that long? And it's a great interview. It's really great. And and the interviewer asks him, what was his first um, co-write? Because I was wondering if it was close to this time or if this was one of his first. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually says um, his first recorded song, and it turns out to be a co-write, but it is Billy Spriggs' What a Way to Go. That was his first. Uh, right. It was a co-write with Ian Billy. So I love Billy Sprague. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, that was a few uh, a few albums before this one. But so this is a real early co-write with Wayne. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. It's not very far into his songwriting career. And um, what a so. fun what a fun poppy song. I mean, it's just it's got great lyrics. Live like you'll die tomorrow. Dino and you'll live forever. You right. Know? It's, it was and then just, Amy's uh, Amy's part just is perfect when yeah. she comes in on that kind of that bridge. It's so right. good. Yeah. yeah, there's a great story um, from that that super brief window where I was on tour with 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 the band. The we I think it was out we were at a, like a um, a mall a shopping mall or a restaurant or and I can't remember if it was Kyle Stevens or. Uh. Lee Lundgren wearing the shirt um, that said, live like you'll die tomorrow. And then the back said, die, die, know you'll live, or live right. Mm-hmm. And somebody read the front of the shirt and, and they got about as far as where it says, live like you'll die tomorrow. And they thought it was kind of one of those eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die sort of fatalistic <laughs> shirts. And the person just read it and said, live like you'll die. Oh, that's terrible. You know, they just walked off in disgust. <laughs> you got to read the back of the shirt, ma'am. So anyway, that's, that's a, I love that story about live right. But it is a, it's a great poppy song. Mm-hmm. And I think and maybe you guys can talk about this a little bit. I think this song really demonstrates what I love about this album the most, and that is how uh, underproduced it is, or un- under-fussed over. Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I just love that about this album. Um, every other album after this got a little more produced, mm-hmm. and um, the the production quality definitely went up, and everything was good and tighten in its place but it, there's really something about hearing rich in kind of an under fussed over context that i love about this album what about you guys yeah totally agree i very upbeat like you said very radio worthy so to speak mm-hmm. if, if there is such a thing with rich 
which oddly enough there is with this one you know but yes you you put you put wayne and rich together and then amy singing toward the end it's really hard to go wrong (laughs) it's the dream team right there it it really 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 is and that this was a huge song on the unguarded tour i mean this was the one that i think he closed every night with this one i think um because it was just so upbeat and the funny thing about that tour is um that they they made him not play piano and rich has always been in back of the piano and he was so uncomfortable standing there in front of a microphone and he fidgeted all over the place of course he didn't have a guitar or a hammer dulcimer then it was just him <laughs> him standing in front of a microphone being so incredibly uncomfortable it was just fun to watch oh that's <laughs> great yes, yes that seems talk. very that seems very not rich i yeah. obviously never saw that tour but i'm like that does not seem like him at all yeah, <laughs> yes yeah. very uncomfortable not at all. Not at all. i remember when you got a uh, when you got a backstage pass um, to a Rich Mullins show. It said Dagon Star, and he was anything but the Dagon Star. He was the uncomfortable star of, of of those shows, and just leaving him out there without an instrument or a piano, I bet was just torturous for oh him. My gosh. That's just yeah. awful. Do, do you want to hear the story about how come the Dagon Star, how that came about? Oh, yes. of course, yes, please. We're, we're getting ready to go out on um, the uh, Awesome God Tour, but when we left, and we'll talk about that at some other time in greater depth. When we left on tour, we were doing you know 500 people and Awesome God hit three weeks into a 16 week um, tour and changed everything. And Rich, we didn't even have a band. We're leaving in like a, a week for a for a sixteen week tour, and we don't have a band yet. Don't have a sound guy, and the guys that he had were were not. They kind of treated him like he was, you know, hired help. And he got really mad one time. And those of you who know him know he he didn't have much of an ego. I and mean, yeah, he did like everybody else, but not about that. And they just wouldn't listen to him. And he's so mad. He said, "I'm the daggone star of this show," and the guys all left. <laughs> oh. oh no! And so that became just a joke for the whole for the rest the rest of his career. It was like I'm the Dagon Star. Joke. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Oh, that is perfect. I think I still have a Dagon Star backstage pass somewhere. That's awesome. Stash of stuff. That's great. That's fun. All right. Well, we go to the next song site. Uh, song four on side one because you know we're. We're on side one, and it's New Heart, which is a co-write between uh, Rich and Reed, and riffing on Israel's history, especially Ezekiel 36, where God promises to give them a new heart and a new spirit and, and sprinkle clean water on them. And, and yeah, so it's, it's jumping into Israel's past. And I think, uh, I, I, I think this, what I wrote down here was this is an early hint of something that's to come. Um, and that is Rich taking a historical passage of scripture and just kind of crafting a song around it. Yes. Whether it's Jacob and two women or who God is going to use or quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. That's kind of a, something that will be kind of a rich staple as he goes throughout his songwriting career and his recording career. That's, so this is a kind of the first example of that. And help me remember, I'm not sure, Derek, because I haven't had the vinyl in a long time, but thereafter at least he always put the scriptural reference did he do it on the first project you know i i will tell you um he i'm i gotta put on my readers because you know i'm I'm (laughs) um so no there are no um there are no scriptural references here in the credits i think it started with the next project that he almost always put the the scripture because if he was going to do it he wanted you to look it up yeah okay okay 
that's good to know. And I, that that would be a great, you know, that would have been a great question to ask. You know, how did that start? So obviously, that's yeah. how that started. Yeah. So I've got my CD copy of Pictures in the Sky, which of course was the next project. And yes, there are. No, let's see. Um, it looks like there are not scriptures hmm. in the. Wonder when that started. That'll be interesting to figure out. That I wonder if that well. Winds of Heaven would have been the next one, right? Yeah. yeah, and I don't have that one in front of me, so um, it may have been there. So, I, oh, I do have Winds of Heaven. It's right here. <laughs> We're going down a rabbit trail. But dig, 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 <laughs> dig, dig, dig. Yep, there are scriptural reference here, yep. references here in Winds of Heaven. So okay. that's when that started. That's nice so, part. yeah. So that's this. Um, this song clearly, um, again, kind of going down that. A path of, of Rich taking his knowledge of the, of the history of the scriptures and just molding it into a song. And again, I think as he refines this, this is really what sets him apart from so many writers. And, um, you know, guys like Andrew Peterson have picked this up and run with it as, mm. you know, when Rich laid down the torch and uh, Andrew's kind of picked it up and, and run with crafting the scriptures and the songs. So. Yes. And that that template kind of gets started started here with New Heart. Um, Dan, any thoughts on this one? Song number four. Yep, kind of right. covered them all. I, I think, like you said, I think you can start seeing all these little pieces of Rich in these first songs, yeah. in this first album. That eventually he becomes because I'm I am more of a fan of I don't mind all the, the producing and all that stuff later on with his other albums because, like yeah. you said, this seems very stripped down. Right, uh, but. I like the combination of all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the last song on side one, and this this one uh, um, I've been looking forward to and kind of not looking forward to, and that's Elijah. Right. And so, Sprinkle, I, I just want to kick it over to you and wow, and let you let you talk about it as much as you want. So you know, it's been probably some of the things I'm going to say. Some of your listeners already know because a lot of it's been out there. Um, Richard just couldn't believe when Great Grandma Lewis was a. Uh, we all love great grandma Lewis. She was amazing. This little tiny thing. She was like shorter than five foot tall. And she had long braids of white hair and she was a good Quaker lady. She died the same day that John Lennon did. And it ins yeah. insulted Richard so much. And he loved John Lennon. He was a really big fan, but he couldn't understand why the world was set up to where people like his great grandmother who'd done so much for the world that nobody noticed that she died, but everybody talked about John Lennon. And, and that's where the song came from. And that was, um, if I, he wrote that song when we were doing Zion. So it, it predates um, the project by several years. Um, it also was the first song of his that ever charted. And it was also the last song of his that ever charted when they did it again. So oh, it was, it, mm -hmm. it, they're the bookends of, of his um, of his career. He he loved that song. I mean, it, the, the, I mean it's just beautiful. You know, what do you say? It's yeah. um, and and the fact that he kind of went out like Elijah was kind of real prophetic there, you know, it was like, but because uh, Richard never was, I mean, well, we're talking about Richard. I mean, he had his own hangups. Anybody that knew him all well knew he was he was wounded. And that's the good news that God uses people that are wounded because that's all he's got to use. He can't use mm -hmm. sanctimonious, righteous people. But he was always loved the thought of getting to go home. And so. Um, the fact that, that that song is the beginning and the end of his career, I think, is so wonderful because it was like, it won't break my heart to say goodbye. And I know it right. wouldn't, you know, that's just who he was. Yeah. That's, uh, that's right. 
That's right. And Dan, where what that about comes, you? Well, where that comes from, if maybe for younger listeners that don't know John Lennon, mm. um, they did a candlelight vigil in Central Park, right? So that line yes. in there, it'll be like a candlelight in Central Park when he looks back on the stars mm. is uh, where those two tie together. And uh, yeah, definitely, according to Spotify, the most uh, played single on this album which oh, makes wow. a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, sure does. Uh, very heartfelt, um, very poignant. Um, so yeah, good good one to end side one. Yeah, and anytime I hear Rich sing about you know being like being like the stars when I look back on the stars, I always think of and I know he'll he gets to it later and um, sometimes by step you know God's promises to Abraham I'll surely bless you and I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. Yes. And so, um, yeah. So I think, you know, these, those kind of thoughts had their genesis here with Elijah. Mm -hmm. and what a, what a great song and, and a fitting bookend for him to have at the beginning and tail end of his career. So yes. that's great. Yeah. So, well, we flipped the uh, vinyl over or the cassette as it were. We, we flipped <laughs> the CD over. Nothing's going to happen. Um, <laughs> and, and there is no flipping an MP3 over. So, um, so if we flip the vinyl or the cassette over to side two, we uh, come to the first track, Nothing But a Miracle. Um, yeah, I think, you know, this one definitely ha is, um, you know, we might say stuck in stuck in the 80s kind of of its time. Yes. Um, again, that's OK. That's that's the moment that it was recorded in. And that's fine. Um, it this probably Dan, do you think this probably had radio in mind when they recorded it? Yeah. 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 I think so too. Um, and it is, um, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of one of those that, um, you think probably, um, was shaped up to be a, a radio tune, but I don't think it, it probably didn't chart. It, I don't even know if it was released as a single. So not that I know of. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think it was. Did, did this one get played live at all sprinkle? Do you know, or no, almost never. Okay. 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 So we'll move on from from nothing but a miracle to to kind of the love ballad of the album, the, both feet on the ground, um, which is a co-write, which is a co-write with Rich and a gentleman named Niles Borup, yeah. and as come to find out, the um, the Google says that Niles Borup was one of the co-writers with Billy Sprague of the song Via Dolorosa, the one wow. that Sandy made famous. So. Mm. Niles was a co-writer on that song. And here's where I want to draw attention before I turn the floor over to you guys to Gary Lund's fretless bass on this song. Oh, <laughs> it's so pretty. It just makes this song. It's it's so good. In fact, the rhythm section here, if you listen in headphones, um, this is one of the few tracks where um, the production kind of lightens up and they allow um, acoustic drums played with brushes. And it just mm. changes everything. And then you've got Gary Lund's beautiful uh, fretless bass, a bass with no frets on it. So it's kind of like an electric upright bass. And it just, it's gorgeous. It really makes this song. And I, I, I've always loved this song. And I'd be, this was one of the questions I was dying to ask you, Sprinkle. Do you know anything about this song? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in the later projects we'll get back to it there was a, a woman that rich was um engaged to several times and it was like a like a 20-year 
relationship on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off, mm-hmm. off. And so almost anything ex- except uh, the breaks, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, it, th- this had to do with being in Nashville. He was incredibly homesick. He was just miserably homesick, which is how he and um, Wayne and Wayne Kirkpatrick and his wonderful wife, Fran, managed to become really good friends. And, and another couple that you guys would probably remember from our time on the radio is um, Lang Bliss and Renee Garcia. Oh, of course. Yep. They, they yep. became really good friends, but he was so lonely. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that song comes out of that loneliness and uh, trying to figure out that relationship and if it was ever going to work. Right. Yeah. This is one of the most, Dan, wouldn't you say one of the most eyes wide open mm-hmm. love ballads um, that I've heard and leave it to leave it to Rich to write something like that. That is just, I have no illusions about what this is or isn't going to be. Um, that true love is difficult and takes work. And mm-hmm. so I love that about that song. I, right. I, it was really the first song I'd ever heard that made me think, wow, okay. It isn't just falling in love and sunny, happy feelings for the next 45 years. Um, right. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think, and, and again, I, I don't know if, if, if Rich was reading a lot of uh, C.S. Lewis at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it reminded me of that chapter in um, Mere Christianity where he talk, where Lewis talks about marriage and about um, – and I actually have I'm – not, I'm not doing this from memory. I have my actual well-worn copy of Mere Christianity with an eighth-day books uh, <laughs> bookmark in it, the greatest bookstore in the history of the world. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and Lewis writes about marriage. Um, uh, of course, the promise made when I am in love and because I am in love to be true to the beloved as long as I live commits one to being true, even if I cease to be in love. A promise must be about things that I can do, about actions. No one can promise to go on feeling in a certain way. He might as well promise never to have a headache or always to feel hungry, writes mm. Lewis. Mm. And... and that rich just gets at that. I'm not head over heels and I'm not a, on cloud nine and I don't think love is blind. So right. I think, you know, Richard probably been reading a fair amount of Lewis on that topic. And oh, yeah. I, I, of course he just boils it down to the F essence and puts it in a pop song that everyone can dance to. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we'll move yeah, on. My, it, oh, go ahead. My, sorry. My favorite part of the lyric is where you, you stopped and then I, I like that because I know you see me yet. You still choose to be mine with right. a love that will stand even when I fall down. Right. So again, because I don't know, I always have a little soft spot for these songs that still harken back to, hey, we're all fallen creatures. Yeah. Right. And we need people that will still stand by us and still love us. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, of course, now that I've been married for, gosh, going on 26 years, oh you know, God. you do, after that time you go, wow, you do, you still see me and yet you still choose to be mine. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Yeah. There's a temptation, I think, to, to um, project the state of our marriage, whether it's wonderful or lousy back onto God, but you know, that's not, that's not it. It's, it's God's love for us is the paradigm that we, we should derive our marriages from. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, we get that backwards so often. 
Well, uh, the next uh, third song on side two is These Days. And wow. wow. Um, yeah. I, again, this is a, this is a co-write between Rich and Pam Mark Hall. And they wrote Doubly Good to You, correct? Is that Was that the team there for Doubly I Good? I think they did. I'm not sure. Okay. When he, and you probably know, when he first went to Nashville, he didn't have a place to live. And he pitched a tent in her backyard. <laughs> And that's and that's how he and Pam started right. They they went to a party together and somebody introduced he's like, Man, I'm looking for a place to live and he had a tent and so I don't it was several kind of at least two or three months. He lived in a tent on Pam Mark Hall's um, land. <laughs> wow. Isn't that wow. Funny? Interesting. That's just funny. That's just Richard. Great. Just Richard. Well he writes in this we got sophistication in the wake of the fall, which is a line that just still, oh man, how sophisticated when we be, can we be when we're fallen? But we got sophistication in the wake of the fall. Now we got the civilization and it's got us all involved in nothing. Oh, nothing at all, but atomic waste. And I, you know, I, that, that is a commentary on social media about, you know, 25, 30 years before social media was even a, a glimmer in anyone's eye. Yeah. Um, we got the civilization and it's got us involved in nothing. And especially during this era of COVID, I mean, just how much bandwidth has been wasted on just nothing. Right. Um, yeah. And the so, same thing with politics, how much bandwidth has been wasted on nothing. Boy, that's for sure. <laughs> just, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. You realize that Richard was never once on social media. He, he thought computers were really strange. He never owned a cell phone. He, he passed away before all that became really, you know, right. Deal. I mean, he died in 1997. That was, I did, I knew maybe a couple of people that had a cell phone back then. I certainly wasn't one of them. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. I, I think my mother may have had a bag phone, but that yeah. was about it. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know yes. anyone with a cell phone. Mm -mm. So. And mm -hmm. I think we'd only been, two or three years into amazon.com at that point so mm -hmm. um yeah wow and then um we move on to the to the next to the last the penultimate song the next to the last song on side two which is prisoner um i'd rather be a prisoner of your love than the champion of my doubt oh so good that's that's such a good line um was this a song that predated the album was Zion, or was this no, a, a right this, for the album? This was a right for the album. Okay. Um, okay. Dan, what 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 what's your feeling about this song in terms of radio? Would this have been um, radio friendly, or what do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's a radio friendly. Um, I think that I'm like you though. I like the I just love the lyrics. Oh, I do too. Um, I hear the doors shut. I hear the lock snap. I know that when you look, you took me in that you'd never let me go back. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, there's so many things to pull out of here, but um, you can almost read this whole lyric sheet yeah. um, and, and, and just love it. Yeah. That's perfect. And that's what, that's always, again, what made Rich special. It's just, just yeah. a fantastic way to weave these lyrics. Right. You, you never got the feeling with any Rich project ever that, that it was just, well, I'll throw this out there because it rhymes. You know, it just, right. that was never, I mean, there was a real, there was a real craft going on with the, with the songwriting. Yeah. And he, I mean, he had some of the weirdest rhyme schemes you've ever heard. Too. He I mean, did. He were, sure did. They were strange. Yes, he did. 
And then we come to the last track, the very last song on side two, which is Save Me. Yeah, one of my favorites. Again, is this a, Kathy, I'm going to ask you, is this a, um, is this written for the, is this a pre-album uh, write or is this something he wrote for the album? This was a pre-album write. Yeah, he didn't oh, do it. Oh, this is a pre-album, okay. He didn't do it in Zion. It not, wasn't exactly the kind of thing we did in Zion, but he, yeah, this was definitely written before um, okay. before the, the contract and before he recorded the album. And again, this one features just some beautiful fretless bass from Gary Lunn. It just makes the song the kind of those growling low notes just uh, so pretty. And um, yeah, it just shows what a, a well-placed bass player can do. So uh, speaking for all bass players, of course. So that's a <laughs> shout out to Gary Lunn on that one. And, and when I was listening back to this album, um, I had completely forgot about this wasn't really acquainted with this song at all. So yeah. when it came up, it just really caught me. Really? <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, wow, this is so different. But again, the lyrics so poignant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so and it just it also seemed very Rich Mullins, which was, yes. you're never going to play this thing on the radio. <laughs> no, no, you're not. No. But it's a great, it's just a great song. I, I have a feeling it's got your favorite lyric on the album. Am I right or am I wrong, Kathy? Oh, my goodness. I love this. Save me from any woman who would be turned on by the aftershave I use. <laughs> exactly. What a great exactly. line. Exactly. It is. And it just, it should have tipped everybody off from the beginning that Rich's writing style had a certain uh, irreverence to it or a certain not taking himself too seriously that, I think he doesn't get enough credit for. And so, you know, he'd kind of solidify that on screen door and then going forward a little bit. But uh, yeah, yeah, this is a, such a great, that's such a great line. Just a, such a, I don't know, kind of a timeless song because I mean, it's just, once again, we've talked about this a couple of times to, tonight, but it's just like this, those lyrics work today. Yes. And so that wraps up our look at Rich Mullins's. Uh, debut album from 1986 and we want to thank our guest Kathy Sprinkle I hope you'll come back and help us talk about each one of them Sprinkle will you join us would love to do that love to do all that. right join us next week hopefully Dave will be back with us Dan you'll be here will you not I'll be there okay you'll be here all right well we thank everyone for joining us here on CCM and 3D we'll be back next week with another episode thanks so much everyone 